John chapter 13, stand with me. All right, I'm going to tell you right now, man, there's so much in this story, um, impossible for me to uh, unpack it today, Uh, but I know even as we read that God's going to show you stuff that we're probably not even going to get to, and I would encourage you just to uh, take some time and read this through later on today and uh, make sure that you're letting God minister to your heart. The Bible says this. In verse 1, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew, really important word, that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father. So um, obviously, Jesus understood that there was a purpose, there was a plan, and there was a timing that God the Father had for everything. Having loved his own who were in the world, this is a great phrase, check this out, he loved them to the end. By the way, today, be reminded, he never stops loving you. He never stops loving you. The Bible says during supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, what's the next word? Knowing. Knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God rose from supper, he laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, you can always expect something crazy from Peter, right? Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, by the way, the the way the seating was arranged um, Peter was probably, Peter probably had his feet washed last, and so he had a lot of time to think about his response. Jesus, verse 7, answered him, what, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, so a little back and forth here, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Then Peter, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also, it's like shower time, (laughs) not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Like, you got to love how all over the map this boy is. Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, uh, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but... Not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him, and that was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he'd washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. This is, hey, we're going to have a foot washing today. No, I'm just kidding. We're not going to do that. For I've given you, verse 15, for I've given you an example that you, should, that you also should do just as I've done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. And huge verse here, if you know these things, blessed are you if you, what? If you do them. Father, thank you. God, thank you so much for your son. And, and what can we say, God? We read stories like this, and, and he's amazing. God, he's amazing. Uh, 
thank you for every detail of his life and what, and what the way he lived speaks still today. Father, help us. Help us to have humble hearts to receive the service of our Savior. And God, as we do, we pray that that would, that would compel us to live like him, for he is worthy. He is worthy of that type of living in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat today. Uh, you know, I think that as Christians, we have a lot of insider language. We just have a lot of insider language. By that, I simply mean this. There, there is a vocabulary that we have that probably a lot of people from the outside, they just don't know what to make of it. Um, and you know that this might be true. Maybe you're a new believer and, and uh, having, having put your faith in Christ, you know, and you're new to church, you're new to the people of God. Like, there's a lot of, a lot of words that you know, you've had to learn the definition of. Words that you know just aren't normally used. I think of uh, like the word fellowship. The word fellowship is an interesting word. Maybe the first time you heard that word, you're like, man, what does that mean? And then it got more confusing because sometimes when people talk about fellowship, they use the Greek word koinonia. And so it's not just, hey man, bro, you getting some good fellowship? Sometimes people are like, hey, how's your koinonia? And you're like, that uh, sounds like a medical condition. It's kind of personal. Why are you asking me about my koinonia? Keep your koinonia to yourself. You know, or, or maybe, maybe you hear, hear the word fellowship and, and you're like, it reminds you of hobbits and elves and orcs. You know, you just go to uh, the fellowship of the ring. Or maybe the phrase quiet time. You know, some uh, well-meaning Christian comes to you and says, man, I, I've really been praying that God would bless your quiet time. How, how's your quiet time? And you're thinking, man, uh, what, 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 is, what are you talking about? Like the last quiet time I had was when I was in kindergarten and, you know, my teacher was like, hey, hey kids, we're going to have quiet time, so just put your head on your desk and it's, it's nap time. Um, or, you know, you have older friends who have their own quiet time every day at a specific time. Nice little nap. Uh, or maybe somebody, you get a little more aggressive Christian that comes along and is like, man, I've been praying for you. I've been praying for your protection that God would put a hedge of protection around you. And you're thinking, why are you praying for shrubs in my life? You know, what is, what is a hedge of protection? Is that like a, a plant that you put in your front yard as like a self-defense mechanism? It just doesn't, doesn't make sense. Or maybe this one, you know, uh, you've been praying with people and they're concerned about somebody and they're like, we need, we need to go lay hands on that person. <laughs> and, and I know some of you and I know some of your backgrounds. And you're like, Pastor, can I do that as a Christian now? Because, because I want to lay hands on that person, right? There's just a lot of language that we have that sometimes needs, it needs a description. It needs to be defined. You know, another word that I think we kick around sometimes that doesn't make a lot of sense is the word serving. Serving, you know, you, you give your life to Christ and then someone comes along and says, hey man, you know what, you, it's really important now that you're a believer in Christ, you need to be plugged in. Where are you serving? And you're thinking, I, I don't play tennis, you know, I don't, I don't. What, do, what do you mean, what do you mean serving? I just want to define serving for you today and then we're going to describe it because we see real service lived out in the life of Christ. Serving means treating others in a way that prioritizes their needs over yours. That's what serving means. 
Serving means treating others in a way that prioritizes their needs over yours. The operative word there is others, right? When we talk about serving, we're talking about a way that we see other people. Can you say the word others today? It's kind of countercultural for us, you know, not that I'm, I'm, I'm picking on American culture because I think this is true throughout the world because we're all fallen individuals, but it's countercultural for us because our culture isn't compelling us and driving us and encouraging us to think about the needs of others. Our culture fosters the idea of self-centeredness, not others-centeredness. Our culture fosters the idea of making sure we're looking out for number one. You know, that we put ourselves in a place where we're able to climb the ladder of success or we're able to have our desires and dreams and needs met. And then, by the way, if we get to other people, then, you know, that's, that's, a, nice, that's a nice byproduct. Maybe we'll get the time to do that. But certainly we understand that that's not what the Bible teaches when we talk about how we see other people. Jesus, he served and through his service, he taught us to serve. His life was a living expression of self-giving love, putting others before himself. And that lifestyle had the power to change the world and still does today. Amen. Amen. And the house of God erupted in spontaneous praise. Right? Jesus served, and through his service, he taught us to serve. His life was. You look at the life of Christ, and you conclude many things, but one thing for sure is this. He lived a life of self-giving love, and he always, hey, there's not an exception to this. This is a rule. For him, he always put other people above himself. And I just want to suggest to you today that that lifestyle that he lived, that willingness to esteem others, what was, it was in fact what transformed and changed the world and still does today. There's a correlation. I'm saying to you today that this, this lifestyle, this heart of putting others and their needs above your, your, your own is correlated directly to the person of Christ. And make no mistake about it, you know, I could stand here and say, hey guys, this is kind of a good way to live your life, and you know what, the truth is this, you'll, you'll be blessed if you do this, and, and of course, you know, if you don't know Jesus and you live other-centered, there would be some blessing, but I'm not just talking about a principle today, I'm talking about a person. I'm not just talking today about guidelines or rules that you follow, I'm talking about a transformation and a change of your heart. And, and primarily and first and foremost, we see this demonstrated in the person of Christ. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, and there's a handful of verses here. I'm going to give you the first installment at the beginning of the message and the second installment later on. But Paul had this concept uh, for the church in mind of selflessness and being others-centered. And so he said this, to the church at Philippi, he said, do nothing, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Let's let that settle for a second. I, and I'm not, I like the pause is not, hey, would you clap? The pause is, hey, would you think? <laughs> like, would you think? Would you? I mean, that's big, isn't it? Do nothing from selfish ambition ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Mm, that's a conviction sandwich. Chew on that. 
Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Why is this the case? Well, he says, have this mind. Think this way. View your life and other people in this regard because this is yours in Christ Jesus. Hey, when you put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ, Christian, your life was revolutionized. It was revolutionized. It was radically changed. You today are not the same person you were before you put your faith in Christ. And one of the, one of the byproducts of believing is this. He has changed your disposition towards other people. Now, now today you might say, well, I know that. I get that. I understand the why of why I should be a servant. Of course, it's about Jesus. But the, the how is a little more difficult, Pastor, because the truth is I'm just a busy person. I have a lot going on. My time is consumed. I've got work. I've got family. Uh, I'm a full-time student, so I'm engaged in my studies. And, and, and so, you know, kind of the, you know, the temptation sometimes, especially like when you're sitting and receiving and I'm teaching, maybe on your end, sometimes it feels like, well, what's in it for me? Like, where, where's the value add to my life? And, and let me just say, honestly, sometimes as a, a preacher, a pastor, a teacher, sometimes there's this temptation to say, hey, listen, this is what he wants us to do, and let me tell you why it's good for you. Let me tell you what you can get out of it. But you understand, like, if I did that today, I would be feeding into what is oftentimes the problem in and of itself. It's like we start with ourselves, Give me a reason why this is good for me and then I'll serve. It's like, well, wait a minute. That just confounded the whole definition of service. So, so I am saying to you, because he says it in, in his word. He said, blessed are you if you do. A hundred percent. Your life will be blessed. There will be value added to you. It will change and transform you as you choose to esteem the needs of others above your own. But there's a higher reason, church. There's a higher reason. What is the reason? Well, this is part of being Christ-like. Being a servant and esteeming the needs of others above your own is part of being Christ-like. When I say Christ-like, I mean being like Jesus. Being like Jesus, which, by the way, is the goal or should be the goal of every true Christian. Right? Right? I mean... I mean, we're not, just, we're not just consumers, we're not just taking in. Our lives have been transformed by the God-man, by the God-man, and now as we see him for who he is, our conclusion is this, oh God, I wanna be like your son. I wanna be like your son. Now the good thing for you is, this is the divine plan of God for every true believer. You know, God has uh, foreordained, he is predetermined, that those who have come to his son in faith should be conformed into his image. In other words, I'm saying to you that when you put your trust and faith in Christ, all of a sudden now the master potter is shaping you and molding you and making you more like Jesus. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Because some of you were really messed up, all right? I mean, I mean that, that, that's me. But in addition to that, what we do is we, we say yes to the plan of God. Like we're participants, we're partners. Every day we're like, God, make me more like Jesus. This is discipleship, this is spiritual formation. And what did Jesus do? Jesus chose one of the most shocking things to do 
in his culture at the time. I mean, Jesus, what he does is he takes the position of the most menial servant, the most menial slave. He's having this final meal with his disciples. He is the guest of honor. He holds the position of priority and preeminence. He is the Lord. He is the teacher. But what does he do? He goes low. He goes lower than anybody else in the household. And he does something that shocked all of them. I know that when they were sitting there watching him gird himself up and take a basin and fill it with water and then get the first dirty set of feet and wash those dirty feet, the disciples were like, what is he doing? What is he doing? You know, when you serve other people, when you prioritize other people, it helps them to understand that they are seen. When you choose, when you make the decision to, to set your needs aside, your agenda, right, your, your desires and dreams, uh, your purposes, and you go out of your way just to show someone an act of kindness by esteeming their needs, man, it, for them it's like, I am seen. I am seen. It's a, an expression of consideration. You know, I think that we need a lot more a lot more kindness and consideration right now. You know, we, I know sometimes we're like, God, how can I be a witness? I, I wanna be used by you. And you know, hey, the simple thing is this, this world is filled with anger and hatred and vitriol and bitterness. And if you just choose to be a considerate, kind person, you know, the average person's gonna be like, dude, what's up with you? Like, why are you so nice? Why are you so nice? Why didn't you give me the bird? Why didn't you cut me off? Why didn't you, you know, like fill, I shouldn't have said that, but you know, whatever. <laughs> fill in the gap. It's just the consideration and kindness that sometimes opens the door because, because people see that you are willing, you care enough to actually do something in their time of need. I said to you last week, if you weren't here, uh, listen to the message. I said, you know, worship isn't something that you do, it's something that you are. And I would say to you the same thing about service. Being a servant isn't something you do, it's something that you are. It's a lifestyle that you live, uh, comprised of many choices. And sometimes those choices are big and they're sacrificial, but more often than not, they're really small, tiny, almost insignificant decisions you make to esteem others better than yourself. You and I are called, yeah, you and I are called to live with that mindset. And this was the mindset Christ had. You know, if you go back to verse one of chapter 13, I want you to notice a couple of things, uh, and it's easy to miss, but there was a mindset that Jesus had that compelled him. There were things that he knew that compelled him to do what he did. And so the Bible says, let me just reread verse one. Now, before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, and then he goes on to say, having loved his own who were in the world. But there were three things. There were three things that Jesus knew, three things that framed his mindset, that compelled him to serve, and it's worth highlighting. The first one is this. He had, a, he had the knowledge of his destiny. He had the knowledge of his destiny. By that I simply mean he knew, the Bible says he knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world. In other words, Jesus knew, number one, that he was on the Father's time. 
He knew that he was on the Father's time. And if he was on the Father's time, then he was also on the Father's plan. And because he was on God's time and on God's plan, everything that he did was a divine appointment. It was a divinely given opportunity. And you need to have the same mind. You and I need to live with that sense of destiny. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you've trusted him, if your life belongs to him, hey, church, guess what? You're on the Father's time. You're on the Father's time. You're not on your time anymore. And because you're on the Father's time, you're on the Father's plan. In other words, we don't just wake up in the day and just say, hey, well, you know what? Here goes my day, God. I pray, I pray that you bless everything that I do. We say, God, I'm on your time. I'm on your time. You're going to give me as many hours in this day as you desire. I believe you have a purpose and a plan for my life. And because I believe that everything that is filtered through your loving hands into my life today is a divine appointment. It's a divine opportunity. It means I'm really faced with a decision. Am I really going to surrender and yield and submit to your purposes or am I not? Because this person just hasn't arbitrarily been placed in my life. This situation isn't just randomly happening because for the Christian, nothing just randomly happens. The hand of God, the providential hand of God is in all things. And when you and I have that mindset, when that's a framework that we see our day through, it's like, okay, God, I see this for what it is. Listen to me. I see this for what it is. God, this isn't just a, this person's not just a speed bump for me to run over. You know what I'm talking about? This person is not just someone to brush aside just so I can get past them because God, you know, I'm a busy person. No, we see things through the lens of destiny. The second thing here is this, and it's over in verse three. Check this out. Get your eyes on the word. The Bible says, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands. The second thing is this. He also had the sense of victory. He had the sense of victory. Now, now let me tell you something. Knowing what you know, Knowing what you know about this moment, did this seem like a, a, a moment of victory? I mean, here he is. He's about to be betrayed. His betrayer's in the crew right there. He's hours away from the Garden of Gethsemane being handed over to the temple uh, guard and the priests. Not only that, but he's just hours away from being crucified. This doesn't seem like a, a, a position of strength. It seems like a position of weakness, but the Bible says he knew something. He knew something. All things had been placed in his hands by the Father. In other words, he was exactly where he needed to be. And because he was in the plan of the Father, he was in a place of strength, not of weakness. And I want to say the same thing to you today. I want to say the same thing to you today. If you love God, if you've been following God, you are right where the Father wants you. And the Father has placed in your hands all that he wants to be in your hands. And I think that's important because sometimes you know when we're going through a hard time, when we're financially strapped, when we don't feel like serving because you know maybe there's a lot going on in our own life and that divine opportunity comes, sometimes we resist it because we, we view our life as working out of weakness. But the Bible says that you and I are being transformed from strength to strength, from glory to glory. The Bible says that you and I are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. The Bible tells us that God has fully equipped us for every single good work that he has beforehand prepared for us to walk in. 
And so Christian, I want to encourage you today, you never, when, when you're following God and the plan of God for your life, you are never serving out of a place of weakness. You're serving out of a place of strength because God is with you, all right? Now, now you, might, you might be thinking, well, I feel really weak and, and I don't have a lot. That's when you take your weakness and place it in his hands and experience his divine strength. The third thing, let me just say real quick, is this. Verse 3, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, this is the third uh, piece of the framework that he saw things through. This is the third aspect of the mindset of Christ and its eternity, so he saw through the lens of destiny, he saw through the lens of victory, and he saw through the lens of eternity. In other words, he understood he was going back to the Father. He understood that everything that he was doing had an eternal impact. And when you're a Christian and you love the Lord and you're following after his will, you have an opportunity to invest in things that last forever. In your life, there is nothing insignificant. In your life, there is nothing that doesn't matter. You might be serving at home, right? And you got your, you got your spouse, you got your kids, and you know, <laughs> you've got your kids, and you've, got, and you've got the laundry, and you've got the dishes, and you know you're doing all this stuff, and there's never, there's never gratitude, there's never, there's never thank you so much, and you're like, man, does this matter? Does this count for anything? And God says, yeah, I see it. I see it, I see what you're doing, and as you do it unto me, it has an eternal value to it. Nothing that you do as you're serving the Lord and serving others is for naught, and one day God's gonna, he's gonna reward you. So I say all of that to say, like Jesus, serve when it's inconvenient. Serve when it's inconvenient. He picked, he strategically picked the most inconvenient moment. I don't know about you guys, but you know, when there's something difficult that's coming, sometimes the anticipation of the difficulty is worse than the difficulty itself. You're like, it's, it's just this big thing that's coming and it creates all of this anxiety and stress. And, and, and so this is where Christ is at, the anticipation of the cross, and you know it was heavy on him. Because the Bible says in the Garden of Gethsemane, he sweat as it were great drops of blood. And yet in the midst of his own suffering, what does he choose to do? He chooses to serve. Sometimes for us, when we're in that place, it's like, I don't care about anybody else. I don't care about his need. I don't care about her need. I'm the one who's in need. And so oftentimes, you know, for us, we're looking for people to serve us. And I'm not saying that there aren't times where that's necessary and needed. But even in our times of suffering, even in our times of suffering, even when it's inconvenient to take the step of faith and make the sacrifice, it's not just meaningful to God, it's meaningful to those that you're helping. Yes. He loved them to the end. And I think, you know, I think John, you know, 60 years down the road, he's looking back, he's reflecting. I do just wonder if there weren't times for the apostles when they were hanging out together, they didn't say, man, you remember that time? Dude, you remember that time when he took your dirty, grimy, nasty feet and he washed them? Oh man, he loved us. He loved us so much. He loved them in the foot washing. He loved them in the crucifixion. He served them faithfully, faithfully because for Jesus it was a matter of love. 
And I, I want to say to you today, when we serve others, it is not a matter of obligation or performance. It's a matter of love. Serving, therefore, is not a matter of personal convenience. It's a matter of prioritizing love. And that's what, that's what gets us over the hump. In those moments, man, when you don't want to. And, you know, I, I think sometimes, I think sometimes that you think sometimes I think sometimes that you think sometimes, man, you know, those people, those pastors, they just always love to serve. <laughs> I mean, they always love, why is it so easy for them? They just love the opportunity to, to, to do what they do. And, I, you know, shocker for you today. I mean, you guys are great and beautiful and wonderful, but it's not always easy to serve. It's not always easy to serve. And there are moments that, that I have and the other pastors, if they're honest with you, have too, where it's like, God, I don't feel like it. I don't feel like it today. And so what, what gets you past that? Because listen, this is the existential question. The fact is, a lot of us choose not to do because of feelings that we're having. And I'm just encouraging you with this. It is love that gets you through that. It's love that gets you through that. It's not this sense of, well, I've got to do it because I need to be a good Christian and I'm a rule follower and if I don't, it's not that. It's like, man, he, he, he has helped us to see people through a different lens and it's the lens of love. Like Jesus, serve when it's convenient. Like Jesus, serve in the humblest terms. Like I said to you, like I said to you, this was the lowest he could have gone in the culture at the time and it just proves that nothing was beneath the king. Nothing was beneath the king. He was patient and strategic for this moment, and, and it expressed something, and I'm not sure if there's a modern-day equivalent to this. You know, Rachel and I were talking about this. I asked her the question, what is the modern-day equivalent to washing someone's feet? Because the way it worked back then was you would walk into the house, and you were a guest in the house, and there were servants in the home, and the lowest servant, the most menial servant, you know, the person who, who had the least value, had the responsibility of pulling out the basin of water and taking all those feet and washing them. Now, to you, that might not sound gross, but let me just make it gross for you today. It was, it was an agricultural community. And if you've been, you know, maybe in a third world setting or something like that where you know how it rolls in those agricultural communities, they're in their sandals, uh, modern day flip-flops, Birkenstocks, and they're walking down the road and it's not just the dust that's getting caked on their feet. Like there's, there's, there's donkey dung and there's camel droppings and, you know, their feet are dirty and they're caked with this stuff. And so what does Jesus do? Man, he takes the lowest position in the house, and then one by one, he takes the dirty feet of the disciples, and he washes them clean. He washes them clean. I'm not sure if there's a modern-day equivalent to this. I, I had a couple engineers after the service say, you know, I think the modern-day equivalent is waste management, you know, because it, it's just, it's our refuse, and you, you, you know, you do what you do, and you push the button, and it's gone, but someone on the other end has to deal with that, and I thought, yeah, that's pretty good. I'm not sure I'm going to share that, but I just shared it, so there, <laughs> there you have it. There you have it. Hey, he, he's humble. Jesus is humble. He's the humble God, and he serves you. Let, let me finish off those verses in Philippians 2, 5. The Bible says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ. I'm picking up where I left off. 
who though he was in the form of God, did not count it equality with God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. In other words, he was fully God. He was, as the Son of God, as much God as God the Father. But check this out, verse 7, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being found in a human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even the death of the cross. And so Paul's like, man, think about it from this point of view. The Son of God, equality with God, can't be any higher than God. And what does he do? Well, he humbles himself and takes a huge step in the incarnation. It's a massive condescension. And he takes on the form of a human being and he comes as a servant. But that's not just the, the, the extent of how low he's willing to go because, because humbleness is a non-contingent quality of God. He's always been humble, that's what I'm saying to you. He's a humble God. He is almighty God and he flings the universe into existence by simply speaking the word, but he is humble. And Paul says he didn't just, he didn't just go that low. He became obedient to the point of death, right? He was willing, he, the giver of life, was willing to experience death, and not just any death, but let's take it even a little bit lower, even, he says, the death of the cross. And the death of the cross, remember, the Romans were like, hey, how can we kill somebody in a way that shames them so greatly that everyone in the Roman Empire will know, you don't mess with us. And so they concocted crucifixion as the most extreme form of publicly shaming an individual. And what, what did the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit choose? They chose the moment of time when crucifixion had been created, something that most Romans were like, man, this is even below us. Like, we're low, but I'm not sure we're that low. And he picked that. He picked that. No, this is, this is the heart of Christ to you. You know, sometimes John 13 just becomes this this recipe to preach, to encourage the church, to engage in service. But it's so much more than that. It is the core of your life. It's life-changing. Now, you might be sitting there today and you're thinking, man, he didn't wash my feet. And I say to you, no, but he washed your soul. He washed your soul. He washed your heart. Right? He may not have taken your feet in his hands and gently cleaned them off, but he took your heart in his hands and he washed it and he cleansed it and he forgave you of your sins. He took your shame and your guilt upon himself when he hung on the cross. No, Jesus served you and he continues to serve you today. This is the disposition of the Son of God to you. He is here today to help you. He is here today to rescue you. He is here today to renew you. He is here today to pull you into the kingdom plan of the Father. That's what he does. And I'm saying that to say to you today, that's how a desire to serve other people is birthed in our lives. No, when you experience the, the gentle hands of Christ serving you and cleansing your heart, washing you clean, making you whole, pulling you into the family of God. When you experience the goodness of Jesus in taking your nonsense and your, and your crap, because that's what he does, and he liberates you from it, he breaks every chain in your life, 
He takes the mess that you've made, the dysfunction that you've created, and, and, and what does he do? He starts all over anew with you, and he fixes, he cleans up the mess that you and I have made of our life. He indwells you by the power of the Spirit. He gives you spiritual gifts. He gives you the power and the guideline to have healthy marriages, to be a healthy parent, to have healthy friendships. He brings you into the community of God's people, and he gives you the gift of everlasting life. And he has done all of that. He's done all of that for you. And, and that heart, that heart that has been touched by that is like, oh, Lord, you know, come on. Come on. How can I not serve you? How can I not give you my whole life? How can I not esteem those, even the ones I don't think are worthy, when you've loved me like this? And that's what I want to say to you today. Like Jesus, serve everyone, even the most difficult. You know, what I love about this picture is they're all, they're all sitting around the reticulum, which is a table in ancient times that was shaped like a U. And what does he do? He he, well, I'll tell you what he doesn't do. He doesn't pick the leading disciples. He doesn't say, okay, hey, listen, some of you deserve this and some of you don't. He doesn't say, who, who, are, who are my key players here, right? Who are the ones that are influential? Who are the ones that have been obedient? Who's the cream of the crop? Because that's, those are the feet that I'm going to wash. He doesn't do that. He goes one by one and he washes all of their feet methodically, intentionally. These people had to wait their turn. They had to wait their turn as they were watching Jesus do it, thinking it through, of course, getting to Peter. And Peter's like, Peter's like, no, you know, you can't do that to me. You, you, I am so unworthy. And of course, you know, Peter had the reason for why he said what we said. And we don't necessarily know what his motivation was, but I think that that was the case. And Jesus said, man, Peter, if you don't let me do this to you, you have no part in me. I think some of us today, man, I, I talk about serving and, and you might be the person that can serve, but, but you've had a hard time being served. And maybe you carry that over into this concept of a relationship with God. You know, you're, you, think, you think, man, you don't know what I've done, you don't know where I've been, you know, I'm so unworthy, I can't, I can't come to God like this. And God says, no, you can come just as you are. And if you want what I have for you, you have to do that, otherwise you have no part in me. Jesus methodically and intentionally went disciple by disciple, even with Judas. Did you know that Judas was present at the foot washing? The Bible's very specific, and, and John says it chronologically. He's like, no, at this point in time, the devil had already placed it within Judas's heart. Judas knew what he was going to do. And by the way, Jesus knew what Judas was going to do too. And he gets to Judas, and you know what he does? Well, let me tell you what he doesn't do. He doesn't dog eye him. He's not like, <laughs> you know, why? I ought to just wipe you out right now. Doesn't dog eye him. He's not holding his nose. He's not rolling his eyes. Like from the disciples' perspective, there was no difference in how Jesus treated Judas than any other disciple. And we know that's the case because in just a few, he's going to be dipping his bread in the sop with the disciples. And, 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 and as, as he says it, one of you is going to betray me. They're like, is, is it I? They had no idea. They were like, dude, I, I knew it, man. I saw the way that you looked at Judas. 
you know, I knew that it was him and, and the way that you dog-eyed dog him, Lord. And, and all I'm saying to you is this, that, that he, lo- he loved Judas. Hey, he lived out this principle. I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. I want to wrap this up today by saying, have a heart of service just as he served you. And this, this, my friends, is when the church becomes dynamic. When we have the perspective, when we serve our family, when we serve our friends, when you start serving the people around you that you've been sitting next to for weeks and months and you don't even know their name, like you don't even know the crew that's, that's hanging out with you. When you start serving, yeah, maybe you do, all right, God bless you if you do. <laughs> when you start serving your life group or when, when you're taking a step and engaged in serving in the ministry that's when the church of God becomes dynamic because serving others in love is where the power is at. That it conveys to the world, no, we have been changed. There is evidence of transformation in our lives because no longer is it just about us. We see because of Christ it is about others. This is missional living with God's purpose in mind. The Bible says in Galatians 6.10, Paul speaking, he says, so then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Um, I am just going to share a couple of testimonies today from you all about, about being a servant and how it's impacted your life. And um, on your way out today at the Connect Desk, there's a QR code that you can scan. If you want to share a story, maybe you volunteered in a ministry or um, maybe, you know, it's just something that you've done in ministering to the homeless or something like that and it's really powerfully impacted you, we would love to hear the story. Maybe you've been served in a way where it's like, man, that thing that that person did for me, it changed my life. We would, we would love to hear what it is that God has done in your life. But Siggy and Alma, they said this, serving others has changed our lives in many ways. We've realized that as individuals and as a couple, we didn't need to be the most talented or the most prepared to serve others. God simply requires a heart willing to give time with humility, respect, and love. The same love Jesus has for us, excuse me, the same love Jesus has for us. And he does the rest. Serving this way has allowed us to see the great miracles that the Lord does in other people and in us. The experiences that we've lived on this journey have been incredible. There have been many times when we were going through challenges, and those were the times that God manifested himself the greatest giving us peace, hope, and faith to continue, to leave the worries behind and to go out to the mission field. Serving in different ministries has allowed us to witness great miracles. The Lord has transformed so many lives, including ours. He's transformed our hearts radically and he has reached our family and our marriage more than we could have ever imagined. It's awesome. Heather said this, I started volunteering a year after seeking to know God, only after much resistance. I was very timid when it came to churchgoers and the church community as I came from a Catholic background. But after finally giving in, some of you need that, right? You need to finally give in. But after finally giving in, I was able to receive the huge blessing that uh, that is the Awakened Church community. 
At Beyond specifically, everyone was so patient and kind to me while I learned how to operate behind a coffee counter for the very first time. It was with them that I learned that family isn't just made up of those who share genetically similar blood, but family is found in those who know and accept the power of the blood of Christ. It's good. It's good. Quinette, Quinette said this, when I moved to Las Vegas in 2020 during COVID-19, I just triggered some of you, sorry. I felt lonely and unloved a lot, uh, but God had a plan just for me. He, was bl he blessed me to find a wonderful church home with amazing people that always make me feel so loved. That after a year of taking all of it in, I wanted to give back, so I prayed for a ministry to work in, and then I went to the leadership class. After the class was completed the very next Sunday during announcements, it was said that they needed volunteers in production. I had no experience, but I was told they needed me and wanted me and that they would teach me all I needed to know. So I've been volunteering as a pro, she may be running this right now, I have been volunteering as a pro presenter operator ever since and it's been amazing. I see being on one of those cameras in the near future. This is really cool, really cool. <clears throat> Some of you know that uh, this last week uh, we lost a, a dear, dear brother in Christ. Joné Dominguez was tragically killed this week. And, um, you know, when I think about Joné, the phrase man of God comes to mind. He was a man of God. And, you know, and if you, if you knew him, then, you know, he was fire. The dude was all fire all the time. I mean, he loved the Lord. He was sold out for Jesus. And, and we know without a shadow of a doubt, there's no confusion about this. Jonay is with the person that he loved the most, his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But, you know, as I, as I talk to people about Jonay and I experienced this myself, that dude served. I mean, he served. He loved other people. And he was the guy, he was the guy that would be out ministering to the homeless, right, getting home a little late. Where was he? Well, you know, there was a dude or a gal that was in need, and so, you know, he's giving his last five bucks or his last ten bucks to help somebody. He was the guy that when we had uh, single moms in this church who needed a car, always found a way to help us provide for someone that was in need. Like, he was... Hey, he was the guy that would give you the shirt off his back. He would give you the shirt off his back because his life had been transformed by the person of Jesus Christ. And I just, I gotta say to you today, that's the legacy. That's the legacy. That's the legacy that you wanna leave. Your legacy is not about your house, it's not about your car, it's not about your looks. Your legacy is not about how smart you are or how much you were able to accomplish from a worldly point of view. Your legacy is about loving God so much that you're willing to serve others in a sacrificial way so that at the end of your life, people are like, man, she touched my life. She touched my life. She changed my life. I, I pray to God, listen, this is not just about me saying to you, hey, serve in a ministry. This is about me saying to you, serve Jesus with all of your heart and esteem others above yourself. And when you and I do that, this church will be lit up. It will be lit up. This world will be changed and we will leave a legacy that is honoring and pleasing to the Lord in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's pray.
Father, thank you so much, God, for your love for us, for how you've served us, how it's just hard to even get our brains around that, to, to even fathom that the almighty creator of all things would humbly serve us. And it just causes us to be in awe. It causes us, God, to want to worship you. It compels us to be, to want to be more like our Savior. I know we all have, we all have room to grow in this. And so fall on us by the power of your spirit and do the work that's needed. But God, help us, help us to partner with that work. Help us to say yes. Help us to not just want it with our minds. Help us, God, to do it in our lives. That we wouldn't just be people aware of what your word says, but that there would be real biblical knowledge in our lives. That we would be doers of your word and not just hearers only. Today, as our eyes are closed and uh, we're just in this moment of prayer, you know, maybe for you, you've never experienced, you have yet to experience the, the Savior of the world serving you by cleansing your heart, by lifting the burden of sin, by pulling you into the family of God. Maybe you've never come to him in honesty and transparency and just sincerely said to him, I've sinned. I've sinned. I've, I know that my life is not what you've intended, but now I want to follow you and walk with you. I want you, Jesus, to be my Savior and my Lord. Today, Today, we want to give you the opportunity to take that step of faith. Today, we believe that, that as you say yes to Jesus, that you're going to be born again into God's kingdom. The truth is, this is what has been missing in your life all along. What you've needed is not more money in the bank. What you've needed is not a nicer car or some human relationship. What you've needed is the Son of God. And he's present here today. He's present among his people. He's present to help you. He's present to forgive you. He is present to, to clean up the mess that we so often make in our lives. He's ready to help if you would just give your heart to him. And so this morning, if you need to put your trust and faith in Christ, you need to believe in him. I want to pray for you today. And I'm going to ask you right where you're sitting, just raise your hand today. You'd say, Pastor, that's me. I want to trust in Christ today. I need to believe. I see your hand right here on my right. Stretch your hand up high so I can see who you are. I see your hand right here in the center. Thank you, young man. I see your hands over here on my left. Thank you for raising your hands. It's awesome. Anybody else? I see your hand over here in the back on my right and over here in the back on my right. Right here in the center and over here in the center row. Thank you. I see your hand in the back. That's awesome. Thank you so much. I see your hand in the back. Don't be in that place that Peter was for the moment where it's like, you know, as, as bad as you may feel for the things that you've done, he's ready today to receive you just as you are. And maybe you're a Christian today and, and you know, I've 
talked about things that just really have not exemplified your life. Maybe you've just been living a life that is in orbit around yourself and that needs to change today. You can raise your hand right now. I want to pray for you too. Just stretch that hand up high. Thank you. Thank you. I see your hand here on my right. I see your hand in the back. Thank you. God bless you. You can put your hands down. I saw that hand. Thank you. Father, thank you, God. Thank you for each of these. Thank you that you're present. Thank you, God, that, that you're a prayer away. And I pray today, Father, that every good thing that you've intended, every work of redemption, every act of liberation, all of the renewal that you desire to bring, God, I pray for these today as they believe by faith that it would be theirs in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's all stand together today. Praise God. Grateful. Grateful for God touching your life. Hey, if you raise your hand today, um, either to give your life to Christ, and, and this, I'm gonna, just going to ask you guys, please, let's, let's just stay put, okay? Um, important part of our service, and we want to make sure we're giving space for God to really move. If you raise your hand today, um, you know you need Jesus in your life. Um, I'm grateful for the privilege of being able to pray for you, but you know you need to pray and you need to confess and you need to ask because God doesn't want a relationship with you through me or through any other human being. He wants a relationship with you through his son, Jesus Christ. Like that, you can't get any closer than that. There's one person that stands between you and the Father, and it's the Son, and the Son beckons you to come. And so today, if I had the opportunity to pray for you, you raise your hand, that's great, but what we're gonna do this morning is we're gonna invite you to come down today. You need to put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ. Our follow-up leaders are gonna be right here along the stage. As Pastor Tony leads us in a song of worship, just make your way down. You can do this today, all right? Don't resist. Don't, you know, don't put yourself in a place where it's like, you're willing to take part of a step, but not a whole step. If you raise your hand, come on down this morning to give your life to Christ, maybe to recommit your life to Christ. Maybe you just need prayer. Come down today so I can lead you in prayer. All right, let's bow our heads together. I'm gonna just lead you in a, a simple prayer. And, and this prayer just leads you to the Father who is already present, who has already been working in your life who has ordained this moment for you with whatever your need might be. There's not a thing that he's missed in your life. And he has brought you to this point to bless you because he has a future and he has a hope for you. And so let's bow our heads together and I want you to just make this your prayer to him and you can pray this out loud after me. Father, thank you for loving me. Thank you for Jesus, your son. Thank you that you care. Thank you that you accept me. Thank you that through faith, I am forgiven. I'm cleansed. I'm new. And I belong to you. I give you my life. In Jesus' name. All God's people said. Amen. Amen.